when we're faced with these global crises um, in our different generations, this is one of ours. And I think if, if we choose to kind of sit silently, then we're siding with oppression. This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. No my haere my welcome to the first episode of Down to Earth Conversations for 2024 with me, your host, Andy Dixon. I've been on a bit of a summer break, but I'm super stoked to be back again, ready for another year of conversations with ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I've already been having some wonderful conversations and I can't wait to bring them to you, uh, covering a huge range of topics and themes. At the end of last year, I was running a fundraiser to upgrade some of the equipment. Uh, I had some equipment that was failing and it was making it really hard to get these episodes out to you. Uh, I'm just overwhelmed by the support that I received through that fundraiser. Um, yeah, we reached Target, allowed me to upgrade that equipment and actually cover some unexpected costs that popped up in the meantime as well. So yeah, thank you so much to anyone who contributed to that. Uh, thank you also to you if you would have liked to contribute to that but didn't have the means. I know it was heading towards Christmas, we're in a cost of living crisis, so uh, if you couldn't give then Katerpai, you know, all good. I just, I really appreciate the support across the board in, in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, I also promised that if uh, we reached the target, I would shave off my eight years of bearded glory and as a man of my word, I did that and I uploaded it to social media. So uh, if you'd like to see that or any of the other things I post on there, uh, down to earth conversations on both Instagram and Facebook. And I would love to connect with you on there. Uh, also, I don't normally go on about this, but um, if you like this podcast and would like to help other people find it, then um, I would love it if you could rate it or review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, or even just consider who's one person that you could tell about this podcast. I would really appreciate that. So thanks so much for your support. Before we get into today's conversation, I'm recording this intro just a few days after Waitangi Day here in New Zealand, where we, I guess, acknowledge, um, remember the Treaty of Waitangi as the founding document of our nation. Uh, I was going to say celebrate it, but... I don't know, with all the ways that the government has breached the treaty over the years, I'm not sure it's as much a celebration as a chance to reflect and to see how things could change. As I've been thinking about this partnership in the last few days, um, this partnership between Māori and non-Māori, and what it could look like, uh, I was thinking about um, episode 72 guest James Beck's podcast, Ngāhere, The Many Connections, it's just a beautiful example of what it sounds like when Māori and non-Māori get together to explore life together. Uh, in James's case, he got together with others to explore creation care through scriptural and indigenous lenses. So um, I would totally recommend checking out Ngāhere, um, and I'll put some links in my show notes. But to today's conversation, obviously there is a fair bit going on in the world at present, and one of those things uh, quite a big thing in the last few months, is the Israeli war on Gaza. Many in the church are siding with Israel due to what I consider problematic interpretations of the Bible. Uh, but while that's happening, there are others standing up for the innocents caught up in this hideous war. And one of those people is Sophie Fussy Mohenor. She is part of a small but growing group called Christians for Peace Aotearoa that has arisen in the midst of these humanitarian atrocities. And so we talk about the hows and whys of that, grounded in her time living in the West Bank, working with Messianic Jews and Palestinian Christians, looking to drive peace in the region. We talk about how this group came about, what they're involved in and what they're hoping to achieve. We hear what she learned from her time living in Israel-Palestine, her experience as a foreigner in an occupied land, the hope that she found there and what we can do about it from the other side of the world. We touch on a range of resources and connections that um, I will link to in the show notes for those who would like to educate themselves a bit about the conflict, or who just want to get in touch with Sophie and the team. It's a conversation that's really timely, and gives so much food for thought and action. This is episode 86 of Down to Earth Conversations 
Here's Sophie Fussy Mohinor. I'm pleased to be here with Sophie Fussy Mohinor. Uh, Sophie, kia ora, welcome to the podcast. Mm, kia ora, thank you for having me, Andy. Good to be here. Nice job on the pronunciation. Excellent. Yeah, I, for those who um, are listening, I balls it up when I just tried. So we we took we did a retake. Um, but Katie, but it's all good. Um, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I uh, ko rangi toto te maunga tirunei taku ngako. Uh, ko moana nui a kiwa te moana e mahia nei a kumaharahara. Um, no tamaki makoto a hau. Um, ko tangata tiriti te iwi. Um, e mihi ana ki ngā tohu o nehe o ngā motu e noho nei au. Uh, ko Sophie Fasi Mohinoa tōku ngā, as, as you've said. Yeah, so just wanted to um, mihi tu um, Rangitoto, uh, the mountain that um, speaks to my heart. Um, the Pacific Ocean is the ocean where my worries are alleviated. I'm from Auckland. Um, I'm a person of the treaty. And I, yeah, just wanted to mihi to the ancestral um, spiritual landmarks where I now live in New Plymouth. Yeah, so I'm Sophie. I'm a youth worker. But I've had a few um, a few different hats. I used to work at Tear Fund and Communications. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, born and bred Auckland. Um, come from a family, three of us siblings. Love my whānau, my brother's a pastor, my sister's a musician, and being an auntie is probably my favourite role in life. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and a, a few years ago, 2019 and 2020, I spent a bit of time um, volunteering at an organisation who were doing peace and reconciliation work in Israel and Palestine. So um, yeah, I think that's a bit about me. Oh, and yeah, I just cool. got married too, I should probably mention that. Yeah. How long ago? <laughs> Hence the name change. We were actually going to triple barrel our last name to Fussy Mohenoa Rice, but it was just too much of a mouthful. Um, it was about <laughs> nine months ago now, so um, yes, very stoked. Cool, living, congratulations. Living the dream. Yeah, yeah, and I, I hear you on the auntie thing. I mean, obviously, I'm not an auntie, but, but that, <laughs> ha- having a niece or nephew is just really special. Yeah, um, totally. And you know, when it comes to that relationship, you know, I've got three kids of my own, um, mm. but I can give those ones back. Yeah, and, you know I've got my ones. So yeah, um, yeah not that so. I don't love my kids, but yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a different kind of relationship where you can just you know dote on them in a way that their parents don't necessarily, and then yeah, then spoil give them, them back. have all the fun, yeah. and hand them back. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. So you um, you've mentioned already that you know you were involved in Tear Fund. Mm. Um, you you've been over doing some stuff with with people doing peace in the Middle East or in Palestine. What is it that um, ignites your heart about this justice kind of focus? Great question. Um, is that just like in life in general or when it yeah. comes to Israel-Palestine? No, just in life in general because, yeah, yeah like mm. like it's obviously the Palestine thing's obviously not your only thing that you care about. Yes. You know, <laughs> you've got this this heart that is concerned for those who, you know, are marginalised or mm. those who don't have what, many of us have or you know all, all those kind of things is is evident in, in what we're going to talk about today but yeah. yeah where does that come from for you yeah um I mean I think for me part of it is a bit of a, a disposition naturally like I remember being an intermediate this is so cheesy and it's also going to show my age um I remember changing the lyrics to a John Mayer song to be about like um poverty and and social justice when I was like 11 years old like I think there's always just been this thing where I've just cared deeply for um yeah for wanting to see people thrive which I think then when you trace that back I'm like oh I know that's such a cheesy answer and you could basically answer anything slap it on for anything kind of Christian but I think it's Jesus um Yeah. yeah I think there's there's this heart that um, I think we've all been given, but but for me, I feel it in, yeah, seeing the real brokenness and the, the fracture of relationships between people and, you know, between us and, um, you know, our whenua, between um, us within ourselves, like mental health, there's, there's so many areas of broken relationship. But I think, um, yeah, Jesus is the ultimate reconciler. And so I think there's this heart of Jesus of just, yeah, 
life to its full flourishing that can be possible in and amongst yeah. brokenness that um yeah captures my heart quite strongly so I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a fiery one when it comes to justice but I think I never want to become a person who has also um yeah disconnected justice from Jesus because I think that's yeah. also a danger too um, ha- yeah. have you been in church contexts where that's been sort of fostered and supported like have the church environments that you've been in encouraged that or has it been like feeling a bit at odds with where things are at or you know what's that yeah, been like for you? question um I think some of my experience would say yes and some of my experience would say no um I think currently I mean yeah I'm at a church where this last year we've just gone through a massive um uh conversation and then we're a Baptist church so we um voted on marriage equality within our church and so um and it was passed which is wonderful um but I I think I've been part of churches who have um yeah been um in spaces like like that of um justice but I mean uh, I think just humanity (laughs) in relationship with God but then I've also been with churches that kind of yeah would probably prioritize um salvation or that kind of kind of rhetoric more um so I think I've I don't know I think I've I've been in both camps with that I think I find it fascinating because I mean you when you were saying what drives you you're like Jesus you know (laughs) I I see Jesus being this guy who's driven by all that sort of stuff Mm. and then we've got churches who don't want people doing that because that's not Christian or you know like I just it blows my mind yeah it really does and like, I mean, I've had conversations with people who, who say things like social justice is not in the Bible. Mm-mm-mm. It's like, well, the, word, the words social justice are not in the Bible, but like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What, what Bible are you reading? Because yes. there's so much about loving the widow and the poor and the oppressed and, mm. you know, your enemies. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are you interpreting from that? Yeah. You know, that that makes you go, oh, no, this this is all about crossing some line to get to heaven or, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, a, I don't know, it just, it blows my mind. So yeah, no, I'm um, with it's, you. it's good that you've had some positive experiences in that regard as well yeah. Um, yeah. as as the kind of butting heads kind yes. of, or it's banging funny, your head against I, a brick wall kind of even thing. Even that word justice, I feel like sometimes can be, I don't know, like even myself, I remember when I started working at TFN and we talked a lot about social justice and I remember thinking to myself, actually, what, what is that? Because, um, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if that concept takes a little bit to, to show people that they are already existing within, you know, structures of either justice or injustice. Sometimes I feel like it's a little bit of a, uh, like, yeah, macro concept that we can just get confused about. But when you break it down and if you think about, I love that idea of justice and peace. Um, there's that model of like shalom that talks about yeah. how it is all about relationship, both with um, us, with God, us, with each other, us, with the environment, us within ourselves. And wherever there is a breakdown in relationship, that is injustice. Um, so I think, yeah, sometimes we can complicate it in our heads and be like, what is that? But then if you think about relationship, that's mm. such an easy anchor to be like, oh, yeah, I can see with that where that's working well and bringing flourishment and where it's totally not. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept within the church. Yeah. And so the reason I invited you on the podcast uh, was because you're part of a team of people uh, behind a social media account that I came across mm. um, that I thought was brilliant called Christians for Peace Aotearoa. Um, and it's come to life in the midst of the current war on Gaza. Yeah. Um, can you just tell me a bit about what this group is and you know how how you got connected into it? Yeah, totally. Um, so long story short, the way I got connected in, and and part of how it all started, it, it only started a, a couple months ago um, yeah. when I bumped into James Harris, um, a friend. For, he was visiting over guest. from Australia. Yep, you know the guy. Yep. <laughs> um, and I bumped into him at a, a New Plymouth um, Peace Rally for Palestine, and we just got yarning, and um, and it was cool. I feel like he brought up the conversation around, yeah, what would it look like getting a collective group or some collective action happening for peace for Israel-Palestine? Um, 
in Aotearoa and it was awesome because I'd been you know simmering on that especially since I'd come home from Israel Palestine myself um and I'd been wanting to kind of be part of something bigger than myself but hadn't found any kind of leads I guess um so yeah kind of through that corridor um James and a few of us started up a, a little messenger group on Facebook and it's it's literally just grown organically from there anyone who um would say they're a follower of Jesus and is passionate about um yeah peace and justice um for um all of those in Israel Palestine have kind of jumped on board so it's grown um now I'm just trying to think how many are in our group um I'd actually have to check our little messenger thread. But yeah, so we've kind of diversified now. There's like the social media group, which I'm actually not a part of, but I think yeah. all the corridor kind of springs springs off each other in the different group chats. But um, yeah, so we're a group of um, followers of Jesus who are all about standing um, peacefully, but in, a, in an act of um, resistance for the sake of peace, um, justice and reconciliation in Israel-Palestine. So yeah, that can look like, our feeds on social media, but um, it also looks like we've put out a open letter for people to sign. So that's, uh, yeah, all about kind of calling where are the Christian voices in Aotearoa, you know, calling for liberation for the Palestinian people. Um, and so that letter is, is both an act of, yeah, I, I guess of repentance over our silence, um, but also is, is calling for our government to actually um, take a strong stance in, in calling for a ceasefire and calling for aid, you know, to be um, accessible to people in Gaza, calling for liberation and the end to the occupation. Yeah, so that's another one. And um, another thing that's actually coming up in Lent that we're currently busy working away on is um, we're going to uh, be one group, but it's across several countries, holding a pilgrimage, so a prayerful walk of 41 kilometres, which is the distance um, of the whole of Gaza. Um, and yeah, as part of that, it's going to be, um, an act of, um, I guess you could say that's, that's an act of protest, um, wanting to raise awareness, wanting to keep this conversation, um, yeah, amplifying the voices of, of Palestinians and Christian Palestinians. Um, we're also wanting to fundraise through it. Um, so that's something that's kind of in the works at the moment, getting people on board to, to jump on board and, and walk 41 kilometers, um, of a pilgrimage over Lent. So yeah, yeah. lots of exciting stuff. Yeah. Cool. And um, it's a few threads in there that I'd love to to pick at. One, mm. I just really like that idea that doing things in a non-violent way, mm. which we would call pacifism, yeah. is not passive. Yes, you know, it's pacifism, totally. not passivism. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so you're not going well. We can't do anything. You're going. What can we do that doesn't buy into the violence that's already happening? Yeah. Um, that that this is already a violent situation. Mm-hmm. It, it, we need less violence, not more. Yeah. Um, you know, I th- I think of um, I don't know if you know Shane Claiborne, but yeah, um, yeah. He, he talks about uh, when he's talking about the the death penalty that we don't solve killing by killing. Yeah. You know, like it it just violence begets violence. It, it totally. just carries things on, and so yeah, really cool that that as a group you're going. What are the things we can do mm. that show um, our support for those who are on the, the brutal end of this. Mm. Um, what are the things we can do to show a Christian voice on the humanitarian side of things? Have you encountered any kind of pushback? Because I know that there's a lot of the church who are just not looking into what the issues actually are mm. and are just going, Israel good, Palestinians bad, yay Israel bring on the war which you know again when I read Jesus I'm just like what (laughs) but anyway have you have you encountered some of that stuff yeah um I think so far so far yeah not that I've been aware of um I mean I can think personally of a few a handful of churches that I've reached out to locally about the idea of signing on to the open letter um, yep. and just kind of received a, oh, you know, like a bit of a um, a year nah, for want of a better <laughs> phrase. Yep. Um, but no, yeah, no kind of like explicit pushback. Um, but I think, again, this is space that we're wanting to kind of step into more, not in a way to aggro things at all, but in a way of wanting to, um, I don't know how to better put it than kind of educate help educate the church um like I think it's it's 
an area that I think there are both simple kind of anchors you can come back to within the situation in Israel-Palestine and within the the theological aspects of it. But yeah, I think (laughs) there's also a lot of areas that can, um, I don't know, where mistruths can kind of be expounded and and within this idea of like this rhetoric of Christian Zionism, um, you know, that, that took off and began in the early 19th century and just how that's kind of flown through the church. Like a quarter of American Christians would say that they are Christian Zionists. And so there's there's a lot of, yeah, I think this rhetoric that moving forward we're wanting to educate people on. So I'm imagining there will be, um, you know, certain battles and things will come up against. But I think, like you've said, that way of being actively, um, yeah, peacefully kind of um, wanting to move forwards through that, yeah, I'm kind of like bring it on as well. Yeah. I mean, my my window into what you guys have been up to has been the social media. Mm. Um, and what I've loved about it is it's not just a whole lot of New Zealanders going, here's what we think. Yeah. One of the things that's been, the page has been doing is providing a place for those of us who are engaged to listen to the voices of Palestinians and others yes. who actually know, mm-hmm. those who know what it's like. And and actually, you know, Jews who are not happy with how things are going either. Because, mm. um, I mean, to be really clear, this is the Israeli government that mm. is doing the things. Mm. You know, it's it's not the average Israeli person. Mm. Um, and And so hearing those voices presented... Um, I think is a really crucial part of what is already happening. You know, you've got yeah. bigger plans than that, but but just to go, hey, look, let's just listen, you mm. know? Yeah. Have you guys actually ever listened to what it's like for people over there? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. And yeah. and I think that's one of the reasons that I was really drawn to the page mm. was cool. because it, it, was, it was providing a place to hear voices that, you know, I wouldn't otherwise naturally have come across. And that's that's massively part of the co-papa as well as is wanting to amplify the voices of um, Christian Palestinians because yeah, like you've said, it's really interesting. Like I found when I came back from Israel Palestine, just some of the questions I got from um, friends and family. Like one one was, um, oh, but how long have the Palestinians really lived there for? You know, or yeah. or kind yeah. of or this idea of when you tell them that Christian Palestinians exist, yeah. that that they're like, oh, what? Like trying to wrap their head around that. So I think there's there's so much. Um, yeah, within um, and and I even thinking that while I was slightly nervous about coming on this podcast is feeling the weight of never wanting to, I don't know, speak for someone, but yeah. wanting to amplify voices. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can feel my mouth being clammy. So if you can hear that in the audio, um, that's the the nerves <laughs> of the holding the stories of my friends that I dearly love in Palestine. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's talk more about your time in Palestine. Mm. Um, first of all, like you mentioned, it was with a group doing some peace work, what what sort of work did you actually go over to do and yeah, what was that experience like? Yeah, so the organisation I went through was actually a, a local partner of Tear Fund, so that's where I first heard about them. Um, and so, yeah, a uh, an organisation called Musalaha, which means reconcile in Arabic, um, and it's headed up by a Christian Palestinian guy, um, but it's Israelis and Palestinians working together, which I think really drew Beautiful. me to it. Yeah. Is that again, it's reconciliation is at the heart of it, um, which is actually quite unique. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's not a lot of organisations doing doing that work together. Um, so yeah, heard about them. Um, had a had a video call with the director, and uh, I don't know. It was one of those ones where I was like, bit of a crazy decision, but I was like, yep, let's do this. So went over for. Um, six months and was just kind of volunteering in their communication space but really just got to learn so much from them you know those ones mm. where you like you help a little bit really yeah, yeah really it, it was a um, an incredible experience to learn from some absolute legends in in that space of reconciliation um, and and so they do all sorts of um, yeah really grassroots people-based relational work both between Israelis and Palestinians but also between Christians, Jewish people, and Muslims, so across the kind of religious divides, I guess you could say as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, uh, six months with them and felt like I learned heaps, but also felt like the more I learned, the more I didn't know. Um, yeah. So still learning, um, yeah, and coming home, still learning, yeah, every day. I think that's that's one of the signs that you're, you're really starting to get it, in my opinion, is when mm. you you realize that what you thought you knew 
you just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And now you know a bit more, you realize that actually there's so much more to learn. Yeah. Um, and, (laughs) and I think it's, we all need those moments that just, you know, take away some of our, whether it's prejudices or just naivety or whatever Mm. it is. Um, you know, listeners will have heard me talk before about when I, I spent a year working for an organization that um, helps with rehabilitating people who've experienced prison. Mm. And um, I was not in the social work side of things. I was in the employment side of things, just mm. unloading shipping containers with these guys, giving them a shot at being employed because most people wouldn't employ them. And just the way that shaped me has changed everything, mm. you know, um, being exposed to people who were different than me, people who were had, had different life experiences than me and going, actually, you're not that different from me. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had different experiences that have led us to completely different places. Yeah. But actually the things that are driving you are the things that are driving me, the desire mm-hmm. for connection, the desire for love, you know, the all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, th- that's what those guys want. To, mm. to feel valuable in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, th- that kind of really shaped me. So mm. what ways have you noticed that your time there has shaped you? Mm. Um, what are some of the things you, you, I guess, the ways that you're different after mm. spending time there? Yeah. Um, yeah, even as you were sharing that, I think um, it just made me think so similar in terms of that idea of, of um, relationships they shape us. It's so simple, yeah. but it's so true. Um, and there was actually one thing that really stuck with me from my time at Musalaha. So one of the guys who founded it is actually a New Zealand um, born Israeli. And I was lucky to, to be there and ended up kind of organizing his farewell, finishing up kind of like dinner party thing. Yeah. He just said this line and it really stuck with me. And he just said, um, relationships deeply embedded in the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. And I think that's such a simple phrase, but it's so true when you think about um, people and the way we are shaped by relationship. It's it's that idea of, yeah, those relationships, when they're embedded in the kingdom of God, they you can't help but be shaped and transformed by them. So I think for me, um, yeah, something that's massively stuck with me is, is that idea of reconciliation and that we're all called to be peacemakers. We're all called to yeah. be reconcilers. And again, um, massively, I think it held a mirror up to um, myself as Pākehā here in Aotearoa, what does that actually mean? Um, yeah, do I know the stories of the land that I live on? And again, here in Taranaki, you know, literally yeah. next to all of the land was stolen from Māori. And I think um, that's probably what has really struck me is is that it's relationships, but it's not just relationships where you can kind of get to know a person, hear their story, um, feel their pain, and kind of, I don't know, stop there. Like I think it's also this call to go further and be like, okay, so what, yeah, again in Israel-Palestine, what are these drastic power imbalances that we sit in as Israelis and Palestinians and how how are we called to, you know, again that idea of actively yeah. co-resist and how that, that only comes, I think, through relationship when you genuinely care about each other. Yeah, so I think that's probably the biggest way that I've been shaped is, yeah, is learning bit by bit. And I'm not going to say I'm there yet, but um, continuing to, to step into relationships um, that address inequality through the kingdom of God. And I think that's probably what kept hope alive while I was over there too, because you live in this weird, it's honestly the weirdest place I've been. Like it just feels dystopian in a lot of ways when you're in it in a place that is either in a community with occupiers or living in an area with the occupied in a military occupation. It's just, I can't describe it other than just dystopian, but I think holding that idea, yeah, kept hope alive, if that makes sense too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very confronting um, and definitely shaped me in coming back to Aotearoa as Pākehā as well. Yeah. I think, I think that's really, that's really beautiful that it's like, yes, this is a thing over there, mm. but actually what about us here? Mm-mm. You know, we're, we've got work to do as well. Oh, heck and, yeah. and I love the, you know, the heart that I'm hearing in you is, oh, if that's true, 
what's my responsibility in that? Mm. Not, well, how do I, I become the savior who fixes it all? You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's not, we don't need more white saviors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what caused a lot of the problems in the first place. Mm. Um, but hearing your heart is very much of that. Actually, if this is true, I have some responsibility here and what is that and how do I do that? And, mm. and how do I, you know, learn about that? How do I apologize when I mess that up? <laughs> you know, all of those things that are, mm-hmm. that are part of relationship like you're talking about. And mm. yeah, I was just chatting with someone yesterday about how we can other people really easily. And when people are different to us and we feel uncomfortable about that, we can let that get in the way. But actually mm. it's in those uncomfortable spaces that we have the most opportunity to learn and to grow. Mm. And yeah, I mean, throwing yourself into that situation over in Israel-Palestine isn't necessarily a comfortable thing to do, but it's something that taught you, something that helped grow you and then shape you for what's to come from here. So mm. um, yeah, where, where particularly were you based over there? Um, so I was living in, in two areas for three months and then three months, but all around Bethlehem. Um, so one was Beit Zahor, one was um, Beit Jala, but they're both kind of suburbs of, of Bethlehem. So yeah, in the West Bank. Um, but my office where I worked was in Jerusalem, so that was inside Israel. Yeah, but they used to say like before the separation war was put in that Bethlehem was almost like a, a, a suburb of Jerusalem. So they're not that far apart at all. They're about a 15 minute bus ride away. But yeah, kind of felt like by day and by night you were living in two different worlds. Yeah, so every day. So, I'd, did, I'd, so did that mean going through like security stuff to get from one to the other all all the time? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, every every morning and afternoon before work, I would walk from my house um, past the Church of Nativity, which is where they say yeah. um, Jesus was born, um, and then you'd walk through this shook this marketplace, and then you'd get to like like a, a little kind of yeah. I guess a little block of the neighborhood. And then um, from there you keep walking and then you get to the separation wall. So it's this eight meter high thick as concrete barrier um, that runs for hundreds of kilometers around the West Bank, um, which again, like 85% of that wall or fence, whatever you want to call it. Um, sometimes there's like razor sharp fence. It's not like a little cute picket fence, um, but 85% of it sits inside the West Bank. So again, that's a whole nother um, example of land annexing confiscation from the Palestinians. Um, and then you'd get past the wall and you get to the checkpoint, um, go through the military checkpoint, they check your passport or whatever your ID is. And then from there you catch a bus to the office in Jerusalem. So yeah, that was the daily commute. <laughs> what were the really noticeable differences between those two worlds? I feel like inside Jerusalem and then again within the whole of Israel places can feel entirely different too if you compare like Jerusalem to Tel Aviv it's like Tel Aviv super lefty Jerusalem just the most intense religious kind of melting pot of people I've ever experienced um but but ultimately it kind of felt like inside Israel yeah I mean in some ways it felt not so foreign. It did feel quite kind of westernized. It's well-developed. Um, it kind of just felt like fairly regular life comparatively to what I have experienced in New Zealand. Yeah. Culturally, obviously, like so many differences. But, uh, yeah, in a lot of day-to-day stuff, um, yeah, development-wise, it felt similar. But then, yeah, I think in, inside the West Bank, um. I think honestly the the biggest feeling and and thought that comes to mind is you can just feel the like you were talking about when when we dehumanize each other or when it's like you could just feel this kind of cl- this cloud or this weight sitting on people of of just the daily dehumanization and oppression that they live under um and again it can look like really simple things like I think even just the fact that there's over 100 checkpoints within the West Bank um, and again, you know, the West Bank is entirely different from Gaza. I didn't go to Gaza. Um, but in the West Bank, 
yeah, those checkpoints mean that your movement is restricted. And there's so many little things like, again, depending where the separation wall goes, you might be split off from your family who live on the other side. You might be split off from what was once your farmland. Um, there's so many kind of little niggly things, even going through a checkpoint. And um, if you're on a bus, Palestinians, generally speaking, having to get off and wait in the line while the foreigners stay on the bus um, because they've got foreign passports and, and the Palestinians having to kind of go through a line um, to file past, whether it's scorching hot summer or freezing cold winter. There's, there's so many kind of little details, um, even just knowing that your water and your electricity is controlled by, you know, your military occupier. I think there's just, yeah. it's it's like every aspect of life, really, daily life is is controlled by your occupier so I think it just creates this kind of yeah what I can only describe as this kind of just weight upon your shoulders um yeah two different worlds I remember um hearing Frank Ritchie talking about meeting a, a Palestinian who uh his house and the dairy that he ran mm. were about 100 meters apart but it was a like a 15 kilometer trip from one to the other to get down around the wall or, you know, something ridiculous like that, that, that what had been a very simple life was no longer simple. Totally. And, and there was nothing that could be done about it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one family who I reckon were probably one of the most impacting, um, and again, you know, relationships that shape us, um, for me and, um, He's, his story's out there on YouTube and stuff. His, his name's Dawood Nasser. And um, he and his family run this organization called Tent of Nations, which is, is basically just a, a low-key, um, I don't know, operation like on, on their farm where they live. But long story short, they um, his grandfather bought um, their land, their farm, in the early 1900s and then got it registered, which, again, that is something that not – a lot of Palestinians did in that day and age. It just wasn't part of their worldview and way of thinking. Um, and then they re-registered it under, you know, the British Empire when they were in control and then the Jordanian Empire and then under the Israeli um, government. And then in the 90s, um, their farmland, which is just outside of Bethlehem, was declared state land or Area C. Um, and so the Israeli government said they were going to take that land because they were going to build an Israeli settlement there, which is like, a Jewish um, community that's protected by um, their military um, that sits inside the West Bank. So again, it's another form of taking the land. Um, and there's over 700,000 Israelis that live in settlements inside the West Bank. So it's it's a form of, yeah, of mass kind of land confiscation. Um, but this family have gone through, um, I think they said they've had like 34 demolition orders on their farm. Um, but they've gone through every level of court, like through to the Supreme Court, and they're still to this day fighting to keep their land. Um, and so, again, just like that, this is the daily life experience of a family. And anyway, so many pressures that they and, face. And the toll um, that must take on them. Oh, you my know, goodness. Having to keep fighting that, not just live their lives, but also fight for their lives yeah, as well. Yeah, totally. And they've faced all sorts of like violence from Israeli settlers. Um, they've had their their orchards, bulldozed. They've had, um, you know, they're they're not given permits to be able to build above ground. Um, They're not given access to water anymore. And so all of these things, um, in hearing his story, though, you just, it exudes, again, that, like, Jesusness that they're like, okay, let's get creative. We refuse to be enemies, so we're going to build underground. So they've renovated their caves. They've got, like, a water kind of rain... um, drip irrigation system for both collecting water and like planting their their orchards and um there's just so many things again that I'm like man under extreme persecution um yeah they they refuse to kind of let themselves be dehumanized but they also kind of choose that almost third way of okay how are we gonna how are we gonna peacefully resist this so I think yeah there are some incredible um yeah some incredible people um, and followers of Jesus doing incredible work over there too. That's beautiful. Mm. You mentioned before that you came back and people had some questions based out of, you know, just not knowing. Mm. Um, after having spent time there, what are some of the things you would like New Zealanders um, or just those who haven't experienced that 
what what would you like them to know about the Palestinian people? Mm. Um, honestly, I know it's it sounds too simple, but I, I do think it's one of those things like just get educated. <laughs> like I think, I think, it, but also that is hard because when you Google, you know, the conflict in Israel-Palestine, then you're also going to get the whole media flooding in of a largely, you know, the powerful get to tell the narrative. So you're also going to get a largely potentially um, biased kind of story. But I, I think, yeah, there's, there's something in, yeah, I remember actually um, going to like a seminar from Jay Ruka when I was younger. I think when Huya came home, the book had just come out and I asked that question of like, what's the next step kind of thing? And he just said, get educated. And it was just the greatest advice because <laughs> if you actually set your mind to doing that, then I think, yeah, then we can act out of a place of, um, yeah, of wisdom as well as um, heart for justice. Um, yeah, I would probably say that. And 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 within that, then it probably is that idea kind of like you were talking about of loving hearing Palestinian voices amplified. I would probably say, um, yeah, tune in. There are some epic people out there like um, this guy who he was lecturing at Bethlehem Bible College when I was over there. Um, his name's Daniel Benorda. He's also got an incredible podcast called um, Across the Divide. Um, awesome. So it, it's unpacking the conflict. It's unpacking theology. It's, yeah, there are some incredible um, people and books that you can read. You know, uh, Salim Munaya has a book. So he was the director of the organization I worked at, um, which is a book that has both Messianic Jewish and Christian Palestinian perspectives on the conflict. Yeah, I think there are so many incredible resources. I can probably send you a list of really helpful little, even like five minute YouTube clips um, if you want to share them. But yeah, we'll throw some in the show notes so that people can can follow that. Yeah. And I think obviously right now with the assault on Gaza um, and just at the point that it's at where it, it's indescribably a genocide, I think we're at this point where I, there's nothing else I can say than take action because um, I think yeah, when, when we're faced with these um, global crises um, mm-hmm. in our different generations, this is one of ours. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if we choose to kind of sit silently, then we're siding with oppression. So, yeah, obviously I'm quite fired up because there are people I dearly love over there yeah. um, and people whose family members are being killed in Gaza. And so I think, yeah, if particularly as followers of Jesus – if we say that each person bears the image of God and we are interconnected in that relationship, then I'd say take action for a ceasefire. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of those just inherently mm. wrong situations that if we don't stand up, then who will? Um, yeah. yeah. Do you see, how do I wear this? With the, the call to stand up and to do something, you know, we're all the way over here in New Zealand. Mm. Do does what we do make a difference? Like, mm. what what are you? What are your thoughts around that? Because I know that's what I've heard some people say: is, oh, you know, I'm against it, but how's it make a difference if I say it? You know, mm. what are your thoughts yeah. around that? Totally, I would say I totally hear that, and um, yeah, can understand it. You know, there's many things that I would agree that I have that perspective of oh, too hard basket, but um. I think thinking about things my Palestinian friends have said over there, yeah, I think apathy is um, not the right response. Yeah, I, I, I do understand it, being like, what difference can we make? But I just think, yeah, I think apathy is just <laughs> not what, what we need right now. I, w- I would also just say, like, little things, eh? like I remember um, going to one of the rallies in my city and it's a pretty small turnout, you know, like pretty small scale compared to Auckland or Wellington. Um, but one of my Palestinian mates just messaging me and just saying, hey, we feel that when you go to those rallies, we feel it. So I think, again, in terms of just relationship, that solidarity means heaps. But I think we can actually do more than we think. And, and maybe it sounds naive, but I really do believe in grassroots movements. And I know there's a magic number. Some people like researchers said it's at 10%. Some people have said it's at 25%. But when there's this groundswell of people who genuinely believe in something and take action for it, there's that tipping point of change actually happening. So I think 
you might think you're just the one, but if one and one and one get together, um, I think the only way, you know, we can make changes is pulling together that change coming from the grassroots ground up and then getting to that level of actually pressuring our government and then, you know, governments pressuring other governments. But it, yeah. it has to be a groundswell. There has to be enough people. Um, yeah, I can think of things too, you know, in terms of like boycotting um, certain brands that are um, fueling um, the Israeli Defence Force and the military in this occupation and in the assault on Gaza. And I think actually that's something that makes global impact. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. Many talks, so. Yeah, totally. And just like prayer, like global prayer. I think there are so many things that if enough of us get together, um, and I hope that doesn't just sound like a naive pipe dream, but I truly believe that grassroots change can can make a difference. And even if it is just one, you know, one Palestinian person being like, oh, they're with me. Yeah. You know, that to me is also worth it. So, yeah, I don't know. I personally believe in grassroots change. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, hearing you talk about it, you know, we're not, the government we can't be the government but we can let the government know what we think totally and we can be a voice uh, to to call our government to account mm. for their silence um, mm. and that in itself is an act of justice whether our government acts on that or not mm. um, because as you say people see that um, people hear that some are encouraged by that. Some feel heartened by that. Um, but also it just, you know, I look at Jesus and he stood up for those who were oppressed, whether it changed the system or not. You know, he he got killed by the system mm-hmm. for standing up in that way, which isn't the ideal you know for us we don't want to get killed but but you know he was prepared to to stand up for those who who didn't fit the system Mm. and I think that's a a great example to us that actually that the outcome is important but actually it's it's out of our hands but what is in our hands is our response and are we going to stand for those who are in pain, those who are suffering, particularly those who are suffering at the hands of others, mm. you know. And so, yeah, I, that's why I love your co-papa, what you're all about. And w- one of the things I really love is that it's not just people for peace, you know. It's you, you're being very deliberate about calling Christians mm. and saying, actually, Christians, it's time to stand up for this. Mm. You know, there are so many people who aren't Christian who are already standing up for this. And actually saying to the church, we need to get on board with, with this stuff that's about caring for the the ones that Jesus cared about mm. and not to other people, you know, and, and, and not to go the flip side of what a lot of Christians do and going, Palestinians good, Israel bad, you know, Mm-mm-mm. that's not helpful either, you Mm-mm. know, to go actually peace. We, we long for peace. We long for the suffering to stop. Mm-hmm. and we're going to stand and do something about it. So, um, yeah, thank you for uh, taking that initiative um, after your, your corridor with James and, and getting something going. Thank you for your, talking to us about it here. Uh, really appreciate your passion and your, your belief that every one of us can make a difference in some way. I think that's so important for us to hear and to be encouraged by because it's so easy to feel so insignificant and like we've we've got nothing to offer in this but actually like you say one plus one plus one plus one ends up meaning a lot Mm. um so thank you for what you're doing to help to bring a bit of heaven down to earth Mm. thank you andy yep pleasure to share and thanks for having me and letting me rant on for a while so (laughs) no i really appreciate it um and yeah i feel equally inspired chatting with you so Yay, Jesus. Hello, hello, heaven. Will I hear you whisper to come near? 
I'm so challenged by Sophie to find ways to stand up for what is right, to not use the excuse that I'm so far away that I can't do anything. And yes, we all have limited capacity, so we need to figure out what to give our time to. But we can actually do very small things to educate ourselves and to share the work of those doing the hard mahi. So thank you, Sophie, for sharing your experiences and in doing so, offering a challenge to us all. Sophie, thank you for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. Sophie, as you do what you can do to be a peacemaker in the world, may you too know peace in your relationships, your mahi, and deepen your spirit. As you stand up for the innocent, the oppressed, and the marginalised, may you receive encouragement from friends who are in the firing line, letting you know that they feel seen and heard. But even if you don't, may you know that your part makes a difference. As you and others drive the conversation in Aotearoa about peace in Palestine, may you find opportunities presenting themselves that you never expected. Opportunities to educate, advocate and influence those in positions of power. And may you see changes eventuate that now seem very far off. As you explore what peacemaking looks like in this land, may you find your Turanga Waiwai, your place of standing in this bicultural landscape. And may you add to the world around you in ways that bring reconciliation and shalom. Lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. Join me next time when I talk to Ruth Schmidt about why standing for what she believes in got her fired from a prestigious theological college in the States. We talk about that experience and the grassroots movement that has arisen as a result. Until then, me inoi tato. E tō mātau matua i te rangi Kia tapu tō ingoa Kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga Kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei, he taro mā mātou mō tēnei rā Mūro mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga E hara ana kia mātou, aua hoki mātou e kawea kia whakawaia E ngari whakorangia mātou i te kia